You're listening to the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. This is a conversation all about leadership, vision, and joining in God's activity wherever you are. You can follow along with today's episode using the show notes at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for tuning in today. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode number five of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. My name is Scott. I have the privilege of leading alongside Pastor Vance here at Hope Church in Las Vegas. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you and challenge you in your leadership wherever God has you leading. Um, and we are really excited about the content today. If you haven't already subscribed or gone back and listened to the previous four episodes, really encourage you to do that. You get to hear Vance's story and also um, just hear a little bit about his heart for leadership leading up to this point. But today, we're going to jump into some incredible content um, that I'm really, really excited about. And of course, I'm joined here by my pastor, Vance Pittman. Vance, how you doing? Doing great, Scott. It's been a busy few weeks, been on the road quite a bit, speaking in different places across the country, but loving the opportunity to see what God's doing uh, across the United States and then even into Canada in the last few weeks. And just really, really blessed to have that privilege, but doing really great. Right on. Today, we are going to discuss something that is very near and dear to our hearts here at Hope Church. It's something that's honestly a part of the larger narrative of what our culture is talking about. And that's this whole topic, this whole issue of racial reconciliation. Again, everyone's talking about it. Tensions can run high. Um, but the good encouraging news for us as believers and Jesus followers is that God's word brings clarity. Vance, to start, um, why explain to our leaders, why is this so close to your heart? Why is this something you're so passionate about? Well, Scott, it really is rooted in our story here at Hope Church. When God called me here to Las Vegas, Nevada, I was a white kid that grew up in a white small town in North Alabama. And when God moved me here, I came here with two other white Southern guys to join in God's activity of reaching this city called Las Vegas, Nevada. And there were a lot of things that before we got here to this city, we just had in our hearts that we knew God was going to do. But one of the things that just to be completely transparent was not even on my radar that really is one of the major pieces of the story of our church is what God did in birthing a multi-ethnic fellowship, a multicultural church. Uh, you know well, we, we now have a church here in Las Vegas where we have 54 different language groups that we know of represented in our fellowship, probably more than that. We, we did that survey a little over a year ago. But 54 language groups that we know of represented in our church, God has birthed this church uh, that I think looks like what heaven's going to be like. And it's totally been a work of the grace and sovereignty of God because you couldn't have picked three guys that knew less than we did about that. I mean, three white guys from the Bible Belt who grew up in predominantly white churches. And God birthed this multi-ethnic, multicultural, thriving fellowship in a city like Las Vegas, and it has totally changed and transformed my life. Uh, it has had such an impact on me and taught me so much about who God is and how God works in our lives, being uh, connected to other cultures in community and then living on mission together and crossing cultural lines with the gospel. And the more our story here has expanded, um, it's been an incredible uh, journey. And part of that journey is just when we were about three or four years old, God uh, brought onto our team um, a guy that's now been with me for 13 years as our worship pastor. Uh, his name is Teddy Johnson. He's a, 
a young black kid from inner city Camden, New Jersey. And so God's got a sense of humor taking a white kid from small town Alabama, a black kid from inner city Camden, New Jersey, putting us together in Las Vegas, Nevada, and birthing this incredibly diverse church. And But it's been one of the great joys of my life is my relationship to Teddy and how we are literally brothers. Matter of fact, as this podcast is being released, Teddy and I are going to be together at the MLK 50 Conference in Memphis, Tennessee, an event that's being held by the ERLC Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, commemorating the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's tragic death and giving us an opportunity as the church to have conversations around this issue. But as I've grown here in this journey at Hope, you know, I've really realized that this thing about the church being a multicultural or multi-ethnic expression of the gospel is not a new thing. It's a New Testament thing. Uh, we've been, in the world of church planting and in church in North America, there are buzzwords that come along every once in a while. For a while, it was contemporary church, then it was organic church, and now it's kind of this idea of multi-ethnic, multicultural church. But that's not a new concept in the church. It's the biblical foundation of the church. When the church began in the book of Acts, the church was born multiculturally. There were 15 different geographical locations and ethnicities spanning from North Africa all through the Middle East, all the way to Rome, representing dozens of languages and cultures when the church began in Jerusalem. Then as the church continued to expand and grow, it continued to develop multiculturally. By the time you get to Acts chapter 6, you see the apostles uh, dealing with issues of leadership in the church where they are diversifying leadership with deacons that represent uh, a totally different culture. By the time you get to Acts 13, you see the first church planted among the Gentiles. And that church is a church that's born, that we see, that has um, multi-ethnic leadership. By the time you get to Acts 13 and see the (coughs) elders of this church, two were from Africa, one was from the Mediterranean, one was from the Middle East, and one was from Asia Minor. As you read the letters in the New Testament, most of the letters in the New Testament are addressing uh, not just theological, but also cultural issues. The first problem in the church in Acts chapter 6 the Hellenists uh, were, were overlooking others with the serving of the widows. And there was a cultural collision taking place. In the book of uh, Corinthians, you read about the cultural issue of whether or not we're going to eat meat out of these temples. In Galatians, you read about uh, cultural issues and how the gospel was reconciling these cultures. And so much of the writing in the New Testament. And it reflects the mission given to the church. We're to take the gospel to all nations. And the Greek word there is the word ethnos. It literally means people groups. And so from the beginning of the church, through the growth of the church, through the mission of the church, the church being multicultural, multi-ethnic is not a new thing. It's a New Testament thing. And so God's taught me so much through the story of our church, and he's begun to just awaken my understanding to the reality of this as a filter that we need to be thinking about, that it's something that, yeah, it's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it's something that you as our leader have shared with us numerous times, and it's become very near and dear to all of our hearts here as a church. And I've heard you say this, our mission as the church includes the mission of racial reconciliation. Explain that to our leaders today. Yeah, Scott, a statistic that I came across a number of years ago that I, I just, it's just been a couple of, within the last two or three years, but it, it changed me. It's demographers in the United States say that by the year 2043, there will be no majority population left in America, meaning that by 2043, we will be a nation of 
minorities. That means we have 25 years before that's a reality in our country. And yet as you look at the church in America today, 86 plus percent of the churches in the United States are segregated by race and class. And to make matters even worse, churches are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods they're in, and they're 20 times more segregated than their local public schools. And understanding that, we have such a short window of time to figure out how to unlock and unleash the church to engage our communities with the gospel. We will not be able to reach our own nation if we don't understand that the gospel and the mission of the gospel is about reconciling races and cultures together as one body in Christ. And we will not be able to do it effectively in our own nation, nor will we will be able to take the gospel to other cultures and nations around the world. One of the great tragedies of the missionary movement of the 1900s from North America to the ends of the earth is that we did not contextualize the gospel very well. That's why you go to some cultures where Monday through Saturday they barely wear clothes, and on Sunday there's a guy teaching with a suit and tie. The reason that happens is because we didn't just take them Christianity. We took them our cultural interpretation of Christianity. And what we've got to learn to do in our own context is plant the gospel in a way that brings cultures together. And I think as we do that, it will better equip us to then create another missionary movement where we're better able to contextualize the gospel, taking it to cultures all over the world. Yeah, you said it earlier, but this is a principle we get right out of God's Word. This issue of racial reconciliation is not just a a hot topic issue in the news media. It is a gospel issue, and we get that right out of Scripture. Explain that to our leaders. Yeah, well, let me read you some verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is writing here in verse 14, and he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Now listen to what he says next. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul here is writing about the gospel. In verse 14 and 15, he couldn't have stated the gospel any more explicitly. The love of Christ controls us. He died for us so that we no longer live for ourselves but for Christ who died and rose again on our behalf. And then he says in verse 16, based on the priority and the impact of the gospel, we no longer see people the way we used to see people, meaning merely what's on the outside. He talks about the flesh. Now that I'm in Christ, now that the gospel has transformed my life, not just inwardly but outwardly, I don't see people the way I used to see people anymore. Because the love of Christ has so radically changed my life, I now see them differently. 
I don't see them simply as rich or poor, educated or uneducated, black or white. I don't simply see them on the outside. I see them for who they are on the inside, a human being made in the image of God whose life is precious and filled with purpose. Now, that doesn't mean as Christians that we're now somehow colorblind. God made us different by His divine design because God loves diversity. Unity is not uniformity. We are different colors and from different cultures, but it's only when we see those cultures woven together through the gospel that we get a full picture of the image of God in humanity. So now we see people differently. Now as a, as a believer, as a Christ follower, the way that I should see every person is in one of two categories. They are either my brother and sister in Christ who've been changed by the gospel, or they are people who Jesus died for in need of being changed by the gospel. That's the way I see every person. We celebrate culture. We celebrate diversity. uh, But at the same time, everybody is either my brother or sister in Christ, or there's someone who needs Christ and I'm in their life for the express purpose of sharing Christ with them. That's awesome. Uh, moving on, I think this is great content. We've, we've said a lot of great things today. But for the person out there that's saying, that's great that, that Vance is so passionate about this, why do you believe so strongly this needs to be a priority for the church around, specifically in the United States, but really around the world? This is an issue for the church. This isn't just a passion of Vance's. We get this right out of God's word. This needs to be a priority um, for the church. Why do you believe that? So strongly. Scott, I'll take you back to the verses we just read. In verse 18 and in verse 19, Paul repeats these phrases. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he said, He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, we understand contextually here the us is not us, America. The us in 2 Corinthians is us, the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the ecclesia, the called out ones, the body of Christ. Jesus has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And don't misunderstand me. I know that the primary meaning of the ministry of reconciliation is reconciling lost people to God through the ministry of the gospel. But here's what I'm convinced of. Every time people get right with God, they also get right with each other. Vertical reconciliation always leads to horizontal reconciliation, or there is no evidence of genuine vertical reconciliation at all. If I'm getting right with God, my right relationship with God is going to lead me to a right relationship with my brother and sister in Christ, regardless of color or culture. And if that's not happening, it says something about the genuineness and the authenticity of the relationship that I say I have with God. That's why Paul said, we now recognize no one according to the flesh. He gave us, the church, the ministry of reconciliation. We want too often to look at Washington, D.C., or the educational system, or the politics, or the sports heroes, or the criminal justice system, but the bottom line is he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And I read a great book on this subject by Derwin Gray called The HD Leader. Listen to what he said. He said, when the bride of Christ, his blood-bought, grace-covered, missional ambassadors of reconciliation remains homogenous in Christian ghettos, we dishonor King Jesus 
and the unsearchable riches of His gospel. We must be about racial reconciliation. And the only hope, I believe, Scott, is for racial reconciliation, I believe the only hope is the gospel because only the gospel changes lives. And we cannot change culture with legislation or information or education or even elections. But changed people change culture. And for me, Scott, you, you know my love for Dr. Martin Luther King. I, I love the books that I've read of his. I love the speeches. And I thank God for the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But the message of reconciliation really started with another king. And that's the one that we're called to represent. And his name is King Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr. was carrying out the reconciliation ministry that King Jesus came to establish here on this earth. So I think for the church, this must be a priority or we risk losing our voice in culture. Because if we with the gospel of Jesus Christ can't demonstrate reconciliation, where is it ever going to happen? Amen. For you leaders listening, I hope you heard that. The church as a multicultural expression of the gospel is not a new thing. This is a New Testament thing right out of God's word. We we saw that today. So as we finish up, I want Pastor Vance to give us some practical ways. Maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm in, now what? I want us to, to talk about some practical ways to take a step. We're not going to jump leaps and bounds. How do we take a step in this arena of multicultural ministry? So Vance, share with our leaders who are, who are wanting their body and they get it. They want to take a step wherever they're leading. Give us some practical ways to do that. Yeah, I'll just give you four things quickly. Uh, and these are really four realities practically that drive our multicultural philosophy of ministry here at Hope. Number one is the word intentionality. This will not happen naturally most of the time. The natural tendency of our flesh is to connect with people like us. Um, but we must be intentional about bridging these gaps and bridging these barriers and engaging in multicultural, multi-ethnic ministry. So intentionality has got to be a key. Begin to develop relationships intentionally. Begin to cultivate conversations intentionally. Um, I remember there was a time last year when we were going through some stuff as a church, and we just challenged everybody in our church to go to lunch or dinner uh, with someone from another culture, uh, couples with couples, singles with singles, but to go and engage in cross-cultural conversation where you can listen and learn. It has to be intentional if it's ever going to happen. Number two is the word discomfort. Um, if you're really going to have a multi-ethnic, multicultural ministry there, everybody has to be willing to be uncomfortable at some point because what you have taking place is a collision of culture. And unfortunately, there are a lot of churches today that talk multicultural, but what they really want is to be multicolored. We want different colors of people in the church, but we want the church to function still in one homogenous philosophy of ministry, strategy, and vision. But it's only when we see this collision of culture take place and shared, and I'm going to talk about this in just a moment, ownership. Um, that will really begin to experience true multi-ethnic, multicultural ministry. So you've got to be willing to allow for some discomfort. Listen, I'm the senior pastor of our church, and there are times in our church services I'm uncomfortable. There are times in some gatherings I'm uncomfortable because it's not the culture of worship that I'm used to. But man, have I gained so much in value from being exposed to other cultures. Number three is the word ownership. There must be shared ownership of vision, strategy, and philosophy of ministry. Too often, here's a mistake majority culture makes. 
Majority culture assumes that we know what another culture wants, desires, or needs. And it's a, it's a mistake born in arrogance. And it's only when we allow multiple cultures to come together and share ownership that we move past simply being a multicolored fellowship to being a true multi-ethnic, multicultural fellowship. Then here's the fourth thing, and that's pray. That's pray. It's one of the uniquenesses about our church here at Hope. But one of the beautiful things about prayer is that prayer transcends culture. You go to any culture on planet Earth where there are people following Jesus, and you will find people who know how to pray. Praying unites us together. And I think it's one of the reasons Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. He didn't say my house will be called a house of preaching, my house will be called a house of singing. He said my house should be called a house of prayer. When we pray together and we hear other people intimately talking to the Father, our hearts begin to be shared and what's on the Father's heart gets on our heart and we're united together. So those are four things I would encourage, intentionality, discomfort, ownership, and prayer. Man, I hope you heard that. If you are bought into this, you've heard this podcast, you've been challenged by it. I hope you've heard, A, there's hope for you. I mean, Vance just shared 17 years ago, he moved here with two white guys from the South, and he had no idea how God was going to transform his life in the area of racial reconciliation and how he was literally going to change his perspective on things. Um, and so God can do it. God is able. But if you are wanting to take those that next step, do it intentionally. Do it in understanding there's going to be a level of discomfort as you cross cultures. Um, own this with people. Don't just arrogantly think you have it all figured out. And then pray. Uh, one of the things I personally did in my life, uh, as Pastor Vance mentioned during this series that we went through at Hope, is I looked around my friend circle and I, I thought to myself, who can I reach out to? Just like you said, who can I go to coffee with? Who can I go to lunch with? And just spend time listening to somebody from another culture to gain perspective on their perspective of life and leadership and following Jesus. And so I hope you gleaned a lot from this. There is a ton of content. Maybe you want to listen with your team. You want to listen to this a few times and just allow God to start a process in your heart and mind to really push forward. Again, this is a New Testament thing, not just a new thing that our culture is talking about. So Vance, thank you, man. Thank you for modeling this. Thank you for being somebody that I've looked to as a leader in this area and uh, something that I think really, really, really has transformed my life out of what God's done through your life. So thank you. Awesome, Scott. Thanks a bunch. And I pray that God would continue to do this in our church and in churches all across our nation for the sake of His glory. Amen. So thank you again for tuning in to episode five of the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. We'll be back next month uh, with a more solid content from Vance Pittman. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you rate us on iTunes as well, and share it with your friends if you enjoyed the content. And we'll catch you next month. Thanks again for joining us for the Vance Pittman Leadership Podcast. You can find all the show notes on your favorite podcasting app or at hopechurchonline.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. We will be releasing a new episode on the first Monday of every month to help you and your teams lead like never before.